stable or crisis prone. Global natural gas markets. Interview with Akosh Los, episode seven. Welcome to the My Energy 2050 podcast, where we speak to the people building a clean energy system by 2050. This week, we speak to Akosh Los, an energy analyst in the International Energy Agency division of Gas, Coal, and Power Markets. Akosh is also a non-resident fellow at the Center on Global Energy Policy. In this week's episode, we cover the release of the October issue of the Global Gas Security Review 2020, which has an extraordinary analysis of the COVID-19 impact on the regional and global gas markets. We learn how Ukraine has switched from storing Russian gas to now storing extra EU gas. The impact from the social and economic lockdowns transformed the gas markets and heavily impacted both pipeline and LNG gas shipments. The sector was already weakening going into 2020, and the last six months mark a new era in the turbulent history of the gas sector. As Akosh and I discuss, gas is contractually more independent from other fossil fuels now. It is no longer indexed to the price of oil or serving just as a replacement for coal. With both larger gas infrastructure projects coming online and the maturity of markets and contracts, gas is seeing a new age. Towards the end of the interview, we delve into the future of biogas and hydrogen. Here, we take a look at what is gas and both the short and long-term prospects of a more environmentally friendly gas sector. Well, if this is possible, things get a bit confusing when we talk about the future. So, my short takeaway from this interview with Akosh is that the natural gas market has fundamentally changed over the past 10 years. The importance of listening to this interview is to understand both the strong position gas holds in the energy system, but also its precarious position due to market forces. And I'm sure many people will object to that. There is an underlying tension around the role of gas in the future. We just briefly discussed the concept of a gas bridge, gas as a transition fuel, and we learn how and why the EU is the world's market of last resort for gas. Hint: It has to do with an ample capacity to receive gas and the open market concept that's in place. Finally, I have to say, after this interview, I am becoming less convinced by the stability that gas offers as both a natural resource for the future and also for market players. We can expect another decade of turbulence rather than stability as the sector reaches a new level of global maturity. Thank you for joining this episode of the My Energy 2050 podcast. If you find this episode useful, please send it forward on social media. And a final note: after a few weeks now, I'm really pleased by the turnout on social media and all the support we are receiving for the My Energy 2050 podcast. I want to thank you all for listening, commenting, and sharing. And now for this episode, Akosh Los, thank you very much for joining us today on the My Energy 2050 podcast. Mike, it's a pleasure to be here. Fortunately, we've known each other for for many years, and I've I've seen how you've progressed through the I would say energy sector, right?、Uh, and looking in your different roles、uh, in the energy sector, and now you're at the International Energy Agency. Uh, the gas division, and could you kind of give me a bit of background about why why you're interested in energy and the different roles that you've had、uh, in the energy sector? Okay, sure, I would be happy to. So my current title is energy analyst at the IEA, and I work as part of the gas, coal, and power markets division. We look at、uh, the next five years and make forecasts for 
for gas, coal, and electricity markets. And uh, you know, the next five years is our horizon. Uh, there are other teams within the IEA who look at gas markets, including at the World Energy Outlook team. They have a longer term horizon and make scenarios rather than forecasts. But our, our, ours, ours is a very much market-focused perspective. And, and I myself am uh, part of the gas team there. So my, my main focus is natural gas. So going back to your question, uh, my um, my initial interest in energy was was uh, somewhat accidental. So when I graduated from uh, from the Kovinos University uh, of Budapest back uh, more than ten years ago, I sort of applied for the you know, usual jobs, and I, but uh, what I did get was a this fellowship uh, with this very prestigious grant making organization, the Hungarian American Enterprise Scholarship Fund, which uh, which funded a year of uh, internship experience in the U.S. and I up at the CSIS Europe program, but failed. And, and my next full-time job was with MOL, work on most of the oil and gas and gas and power supply chains. So that was a great introduction to, to the energy world uh, in itself. And then I moved to New York and I in management consulting for four for two years. Then I did this uh, energy master's at, at Columbia University and worked at the Central Global Energy Policy uh, uh, during that time and afterwards full-time as part of the natural gas program. And I think this interest in natural gas was also initially somewhat somewhat accidental. I, I think, um, you know, coming from Central and Eastern Europe, uh, I, I started my professional career around the gas crisis, you know, Graduated immediately after the first uh, gas crisis in 2006, and and uh, and, and, and uh, my first professional job was uh, around the second gas crisis in 2009. So I think at the time gas was very interesting from a geopolitical perspective, and I think now it's 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 again very interesting for, for a different reason, and that's because in the energy transition, it's it's one of the most interesting fuel. I think the energy transition can be neither a uh, you know, existential threat or a, or a great opportunity for gas or anywhere in between. And I think it's, it's going to be very interesting to watch how it, how it evolves. Oh, you have so much, so much there. But I really liked, uh, the, your, your last point actually was both, uh, your early experience with the 2006, um, uh, gas crisis. And that was between Ukraine and, and Russia, but also the 2009 one, which was, uh, had a lot of reverberation in the EU. And how, how would you, how would you maybe compare the two? I know they're, they're quite different if we think about the present price, uh, crisis and we'll get into it in, in a minute. But just kind of looking back, um, how, how even maybe looking at the, I would say, cause the first crisis in 2009 or the main crisis between Ukraine and, and Russia was mainly centered in Eastern Europe and kind of affected the EU. And now we have this global crisis. But from maybe I would say a European perspective or looking at Europe, how 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 is the gas market kind of uh, how is it similar maybe in a period of crisis and maybe how is it different between the two different crises? So I think the European market has evolved quite quite a bit since then and, and uh, completion of this uh, integrated gas market or at least the completion of a large part of it, uh, including additional extra infrastructure, reverse flow capabilities, uh, and also the restructuring of, of the contracts and introduction of much more flexible, uh, you know, pricing indices and and and, uh, and the volume flexibility in the in the existing contracts uh, have really transformed the European gas market in a, in, a, in, a, in a fundamental way. Not just Western Europe, but also also uh, Central and Eastern uh, European part of the market. 
um, and also the introduction of uh, new LNG import infrastructure in Poland and now uh, in, in Croatia again as well. Uh, so, uh, so, so I think uh, the Europe of today has has, a, has an abundance of supply options around it uh, from Russia, from North, North Africa, from from the North Sea. Uh, and also, also from uh, from uh, from the Caspian region, from Azerbaijan now, and and uh, and increasingly LNG is playing a, a greater role in, in in the LNG supply as well. And Europe is a very important market. It's this market of last resort because of this of this um, you know flexible market structure, flexible power system, uh, liberalized wholesale electricity market, and also the, the huge amount of storage capacity that still exists in the, in the European context. So um, so Europe is, is really the clearing market for, 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 for natural gas and LNG. There is a very, very competitive uh, market for, for LNG and pipeline gas supply. It's really uh, no longer... Uh, Grappling with with, with 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 the supply dependence, rather it's it's uh, contending with uh, with uh, with nowadays too much supply coming coming to its shore, and, and and this year the problem actually was where, where to put that that uh, huge volume of excess supply that, uh, that that had nowhere else to go but to Europe. Uh, one interesting development in this regard was the integration of the Ukrainian storage capacity, which which uh, set more or less idle uh, into the European system. So now, now Ukrainian capacity is can also be considered part of the European uh, balancing market. Let me follow up on the last point then, at least on, on Ukrainian part of the European balancing market, because this is something I haven't heard. Because basically in the past, and, and if we just reflect on the past 10 years, 10, 10, 11 years since the last crisis. And so what you just laid out was a dramatic uh, change. Or Yeah, I would even put it in the category of dramatic. It's a significant change in the infrastructure and how the market is interconnected, how the national markets are interconnected within the EU for, for energy, for, for gas. And now, I mean, traditionally, Ukraine was a storage place for Russian gas. And then now, uh, okay, then there was the dispute, basically. So, uh, But now you're saying that Ukraine... Um, is a storage location again, but not for Russian gas, for other gas, or could you expand on that? Yeah, it's basically um, a storage place for any any volumes that neighboring countries, especially Slovakia and Hungary, send, send, send it into Ukrainian storage for basically the same way as if the storage was 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 in Europe except for some some uh, transit fees and other 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 uh, cost items that comes with with uh, storing gas in Ukraine rather than in your within your national borders but uh, but you know thanks thanks to thanks to some regulatory actions it's 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 now the, these uh, westward flows into Ukraine are much much easier and, and, and much more feasible than, than only a few years ago and EU EU member states and EU, play, players within the EU uh, as a as an additional backup in storage capacity because European storage at, at, at some points in, in the summer was on, on its way to become absolutely full and, and without Ukraine uh, I actually think we, we might have breached uh, <laughs> storage capacity limits uh, within the EU itself. So, uh, so it indeed acts as a as a as a, as a complementary uh, storage hub for for Europe and by extension to the rest of the world as well, since since Europe is the balancing market for for the whole LNG system now. So it's almost like so a re- 
sorry, reclaiming its old position where, okay, it wasn't bi-directional flow, it was one-directional flow from, we could say, the Soviet Union, or we could say Russia, or we could say other Central Asian countries, and the gas would be stored in, in Ukraine and then shipped to the east. But now, uh, because of changes in the infrastructure and the EU, we could say, programs on bi-directional flow, now Ukraine can be a much more flexible middleman. Is, is that correct? Yeah, also they, they reduced Russian flows via the Ukraine route to this. So, so obviously, uh, this route is less extensively used, but, but by and large, that is correct. Mm-hmm. And then maybe we can talk more about the, the LNG. I'm going to steer us away from geopolitics because I want to, I want to focus and I know you want to focus too more, more on the market. So in your, Europe's capacity for LNG, how, how did this come into play with um, the whole impact around COVID-19, we'll just say economic shutdown? And, and how, how did LNG play a role and how, did, how has the market changed? So, um, so let, me, let me start with, uh, with 2019, which already saw some slowdown in, 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 uh, in global gas demand. Uh, at the same time, you know, supply additions to the market were relatively strong and we had a relatively mild winter already from 2018 to 2019. So, so back then the question was how to, how to, how the market will, will be able to cope with this increased supply and the relatively weak demand. So we, we, we started out 2020 with this, with this already slowing, uh, global gas demand outlook. On the top of it, the winter was again exceptionally warm in the northern hemisphere in, in early 2020. Covid-related shock uh, burst into, and um, and and you know due to these lockdowns that uh, that 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 was another market 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 demand shock through the through the curtailment of economic activity, shutdown of parts of the national economy, and the hit to industrial demand in particular, also some transport demand, but but guess it's really not uh, not extensively used in the transportation sector quite as much as oil is. Global gas demand was probably hit by about. Uh, it, it, it suffered a 4% decline in the first half of the year, and, and most of that was in, in mature economies in Europe and North America, and also in Eurasia, including Russia, uh, and, and, and in Northern Asia as well. Um, given this sharp drop in demand and this uh, relatively well-supplied LNG market, so that this, this certainly put the market out of balance, and 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 we had more 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 supply than than there was demand for. Especially one, one part of the balancing was was uh, was to land more LNG in in Europe and, and just put it into storage or or or, or displace coal in the power generation sector. We've seen extensive coal to gas switching uh, playing playing a role in the balancing. But at the same time, uh, you know, other parts of the of the supply chain have to adjust as well, including pipeline gas imports to Europe. Uh, Russia, Russian supplies got curtailed significantly. That, that was a significant hit, and, and and that was mainly to to make room for for this cheap spot LNG, which which could still flow into into European storage. And when Europe had the storage capacity, had the flexible liberalized power system, and and had these flexible pipeline contracts to to accommodate all that. So this mm-hmm. is this is what we mean by Europe acting as the as the balancing market, the market of last resort for for unwanted LNG because because it has all these various uh, uh, flexibility mechanisms, and it can it can it can be deployed at a very very large scale. So we can start to see uh, maybe the impact of previous policies, market policies of uh, getting rid of long-term contracts for gas 
and then pushing more of these short term or medium term or just maybe we could just say flexi- greater flexibility in, in contracts for pipeline gas. And then these LNG contracts, in a way, um, are the new, they're not long term, but they're more rigid over a couple of years. And there was also a, quite a big uh, decline. I'm just looking at some figures that you have from the uh, the Global Gas Security Review of 2020 that you have, where the contract size in 2019 was even below 2018, and then of course in 2020 that's even collapsed even even more. Um, so my question to you is: Is this a, a, a trend? These smaller and shorter contracts? I mean, in a sense, it kind of saved the or it benefited Europe, and and com- companies could adjust to to the cheaper gas because of the flexibility in the market. Do you think in 2020, 2021, okay, we're in crisis mode, but this short-term flexibility will be even more emphasized over longer-term contracts or medium-term? Yeah, I, so what, what we are seeing on the contracting front is this, uh, this uh, very, very sharp slowdown of, of, uh, of contracting activity in 2020. And, and what 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 you see remaining is is essentially the residual uh, after you go through this uh, very 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 sharp reduction of of of, of new, new concluded contracts, and and the, and the residual points towards points towards uh, you know less destination flexibility, shorter and smaller contract volumes overall. I think I think it's it's probably just a short term phenomenon. I, I think the you know. Increasing, increasing flexibility in the market, which we still see playing out in the medium term horizon is mainly associated with, with, uh, you know, new primary off-take contracts concluded with, with, uh, with, with, with new liquefaction projects, especially in the US, they are all destination flexible. And, 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 and that kind of contracting activity completely dried up this year. It might come back once the, you know, investment cycle starts again and the investment activity picks up again. Uh, and and I think uh, I think that 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 will again reverse this this trend towards shorter, smaller, and less flexible contracts. Uh, I think these contracts that we see concluded this year is is basically pre-marketed secondary volumes uh, volumes that you know these large portfolio players already already contracted from from the project developers, and now they they resell it to to end users. I mean often. often Often it is the case that that these types of contracts are indeed smaller and shorter term uh, and 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 have less destination flexibility just because the buyers don't necessarily need that. And you mentioned it before, mainly these are US based contracts from US producers. No, 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 not this no. year. But uh, that 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 that's the that's the big component that's that's still pushing the destination flexible volumes uh, to, to higher levels in the next five years. So as as, as, as the contracts that were already concluded in prior years that will still still entering into force, I think, I think that will still uh, by and large increase the share of flexible volumes in the market. So overall that's a longer term trend and uh, we see that still still continuing. Mm-hmm. And US US contracts tend to be also uh, also uh, all uh, uh, hub indexed or, or, or hybrid contracts. It's not just US that 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 is moving in this direction, but, but other other suppliers as well. So Mozambique Energy, for example, also also sold energy on a very 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 flexible hybrid pricing basis. Um, Sorry, can so, you can you kind of break that down? So the what, 
uh, just explain what what the hub price is and what a hi, uh, hybrid, I would say, contract is. Yeah. So uh, typically in the in the old days, most energy contracts were linked to to a uh, to a crude oil benchmark with the several month lag. Which, which is you know, good or bad for, can be good or bad for, for many reasons. I think the main, main, main reason why, why, why it's problematic is that, that uh, the, the, the price then reflects the fundamentals of another market. So, so, you know, spot prices and, and, and oil, oil index contract prices can, can diverge sometimes to, to a significant degree. And, and that, that, that can create short term tensions between what you're paying and what the, the what the what the market based price actually actually should look like and and most US LNG is sold on the on the, on the basis of uh, Henry Hub indexation so so that's 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 a, that's a gas 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 hub price which is more reflective of, of the fundamentals of the US market but uh, but but regardless a, a, a price that 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 reflects gas market fundamentals rather than oil market fundamentals and, and in that sense, it's uh, it's it's a step in a, in a, in the direction of of uh, of competitive and and, uh, and market based pricing for for natural gas uh, and hybrid contracts. They can they can be a combination of you know European and Asian price indices or or TTF synagogue or 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 even have some some oil index components, some some gas 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 components in, in them. So that's that that's been a trend that that has been picking up also. As, uh, as buyers have more uh, more um, diverse uh, supply sources and, and, and look for look for for a menu of of, uh, of uh, you know gas supply options that 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 reflects their, their, their needs and diversification priorities. And this is a big uh, now, change. Course, I'm just want yeah. I just want a uh, big change because in the past it was really connected to the oil to the, oil, the gas indexing was. Or it was indexed to the oil market and in long-term contracts, and now it's it's been less and less. At least in Europe, we, we could say, but I think globally, right? Yeah, no, this 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 is all related to energy. Uh, Europe European contracts have uh, have uh, shifted to more more hot pricing, or, or at least pricing that reflects uh, spot markets almost entirely now. Uh, uh, back in, in the early part of, of, of the last decade when, when, when the previous wave of uh, supply hit Europe uh, after the US shale revolution, there was a lot of excess, excess uh, natural gas uh, in the European system again. And, and uh, at that point, it's Europe's main suppliers, including uh, Norway, Russia, Algeria, maybe less so, to, to change the pricing to reflect, uh, reflect uh, uh, spot spot pricing on the main European hubs. So can, can I can I I want to bring in a, and make a joke, but it's not a joke. <laughs> it's right. one of the previous publications for the uh, IEA about the and I forget the year, but probably 2013 2014, the golden age of gas. Uh, so is this the golden age of gas, where gas is this independent res- natural resource you know, for for energy? Uh, that that's independent of oil and independent of coal. Has it been delinked all that, and it's ready to, we could say, power this. There's a lot of things here, but but power this, you know, future towards a cleaner energy future or a cleaner fossil fuel f- future. And cleaner is relative, but but this is a golden age for gas then, where it's standing not by itself in the market. If you ask some of the suppliers, I uh, I don't think they would. Really- 
refer to this year as a, as a golden golden year for sure. But we had we had a few good years for for gas on a global level. You know, in the in the 2017, 2018, 2019 period, I think I think gas was actually quite robust. Uh, it was mainly driven by by, uh, by China and a few Asian Asian economies and and. You know, in those years, it seemed that that um, we are we are we are entering a golden age. U.S. supply growth was also robust, so so it was mainly a story about U.S. supply and Asian demand, and these mostly complementing each other. I think um, you know the outlook shifted uh, a little bit since then. Uh, one obviously one is this demand shock that that we are witnessing this year and the uncertainty it creates for 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 new supply investments and also for the outlook for demand uh, going forward uh but but also uh you know uh, this whole sustainability debate also also started to creep in and now we do we do medium to forecasting but uh but uh if you if you, if you look at to the longer term and, and try to try to square this need for deep decarbonization, achieve net zero targets and, and continue with gas use, then, then you'll see that uh, gas can play play an important part in the early part of the transition. But but once you once you exhausted all these all these easy you know call to gas switching opportunities, I think I think you'll 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 have to start to think about how to how to uh, decarbonize gas itself and and, and even before you do that, you have to uh, think about the the emission footprint of, of, of the existing gas supply chain, including which are driving and renting problems, which which can uh, deteriorate the, the carbon footprint and the environmental uh, impact of, of, of natural gas use. Maybe look into short and medium term then, uh, without so much long term, but the flaring and venting of gas. So the flaring is when gas is being brought out say with oil or even by itself and there's no place to put it so they just burn it uh or, or gas or methane leaking from from gas wells as well is there are there maybe and i don't know how much you can comment on this from a market perspective but are there maybe some market mechanisms or efforts we could say maybe in the industry or between government to to reduce the amount of flaring or is that just largely environmental problem and the market doesn't care. I think it's it's a tricky question, and it, it, it varies depending on where you where you do the planning. And by the way, venting is is, a, is actually much worse for the environment because then you just release methane, which 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 is a, a larger warming potential on the on the, on the, on the horizon than than than, than CO two. So flaring flaring is still better than than venting, but it's still still uh, quite bad for the for the environmental footprint of natural gas overall. Uh, so I think I think obviously the, the reason for flaring is because because there is no no real market incentive or near ready market for that gas or, or there are infrastructure bottlenecks that prevent you from from uh, taking that gas to the market and and and, uh, and actually utilizing it which uh, which can be resolved with uh, with uh, with uh, you know, just just economic incentives but but to the extent you still see flaring, I think, I think uh, especially in the US, it's, it's, it's mainly a regulatory issue, to be honest. And uh, in Iraq, I think it's mainly an issue of you know, how, how to bring in the necessary investment for for these gas capture projects, which make uh, great economic sense. They, they have a lot of additional you know, power need, and, and, and they, they could very well use that gas. They actually 
new podcasts to, 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 to keep the lights on, but, but it's really just mobilizing the necessary investment is, is, is the main challenge there. And, and you know, in other places in, in, in Nigeria or Russia, it's, it's just a, a question of whether you, 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 you capture that extra gas or, or, or you find other ways to, to supply your, your, your customers. And, you know, you, you have to put in some kind of regulation or, or incentive to, to actually capture because, because uh, gas, gas is cheap and, and firing is the default option. But I think I think more more uh, more scrutiny is definitely coming. I mean, the flaring problem is, is relatively well documented, but the but the methane leaks, which which sometimes uh, go undetected or, or even not, not 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 even fully mapped out to the global level, I think uh, I think this satellite-based uh, observation and satellite imaging uh, will will be a complete game changer and can control. Uh, much more scrutiny and bring much more transparency to the to the methane uh, leakage problem. So I think that will that will uh, that will, uh, if anything, come even more forcefully into the into the forefront tension. And how how are you bringing in uh, maybe shifting it a little bit uh, further into this environmental area? Uh, how are you accounting for new forms of gas like um, uh, the? the no, no, the the bio biogas, if we can call it like that, or or hydrogen, is this starting to become part of your uh, analysis in, in looking at gas, or how do you define gas, or what is gas? Yeah, so so far we only only dealt with natural gas, which is the uh, methane, uh, which we, we produce from reservoirs, but but that's that, that's changing. So our our you know, long term analysis the other energy output team and the energy technologists at the IEA they they they've been looking at this for, for a long time and, and analyzing uh, you know the long term potential from uh, biomethane and various green hydrogen sources uh, that can that can play into the natural gas uh, gas mix and and even 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 us at the at the at the, uh, the gas coal and power markets division we are medium term horizon we we think that these these uh, these issues are continually uh, creeping up on our horizon, uh, and we're starting to see see projects that will actually have an impact on on on, on even in the next five years. So we'll we'll we are actually currently thinking about ways in which we can we can track these projects and quantify their impact in a in a more more rigorous and systematic way, and and actually provide provide forecasts for 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 green clean sources of, of natural gas as well. Uh, we did that a little bit in our, our medium-term gas report uh, earlier in June, when we when we tried to uh, quantify the supply potential and the and, and actually provide a forecast for for biomethane globally. Um, these are these are still uh, that are, are relatively small compared to the to the size of the of the global gas market, but but in a you know country by country context, sometimes they can be significant. So. China, for example, this is an additional 10 BCM of biomethane. You know, I think I think hydrogen is a is a is a longer term prospect, but 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 there again we, we also see developments like, like the use hydrogen strategy, for example, which 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 can go. It has an interim target in 2024. They already want six kilowatts of uh, of, of, of green hydrogen electrolyzer capacity uh, to to come to the market, which is six times the current capacity. That's that's um, you know, significant scale up of of uh, of 
uh, of the technology that that, that allows you to make uh, make uh, make green hydrogen out of water through water electrolysis, uh, and and so we see these these projects and developments and policies that 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 are already relevant in the medium to environment. So okay, well, you you'll see more more in our work uh, focused on on these these topics as well, not just in the long term scenario based analysis, but also on the medium term forecast. Mm-hmm. And can I uh, push it maybe uh, as this is the question, but it doesn't mean there's an answer here. But for example, carbon tax, because I'm just kind of comparing. Uh, biomethane or or hydrogen as greener uh, as a greener form of, of gas and I'm just thinking you know maybe maybe certain policies in the future begin to favor uh, greener types of gas uh, and in, for example carbon tax would in a sense punish natural gas and, and probably and so it would may maybe force the the industry itself to reduce this amount of flaring or the venting is this one way to uh, that the the industry could shift over time, or the gas market could shift over time? Yeah, I think so, and um, I think other parts of the IA do, do more work on on you know what what carbon prices would make sense, and we definitely think that carbon prices is a key part of the solution to to, to decarbonization. Uh, but you know, if you if you want to make some of these technologies like 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 electrolyzers and making green hydrogen with electrolyzers work, you, you would need carbon prices that are, are almost unimaginable today. Uh, uh, so uh, so I think especially in these early stage technologies, uh, you may not get enough enough uh, boost from 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 having a moderately high carbon price. You, you would need a extremely triple digit carbon price to to, uh, to to make some of these some of these technologies work so for carbon pricing then it's definitely longer term then maybe actually I like the essentially the portfolio or the timeline of your job because it's five years uh, and which is kind of in a sense more realistic right I mean you're looking at the, the pricing today and okay you couldn't predict covid 19 and this huge collapse but um, do, do you think I mean or what are the numbers are showing, I mean, because uh, the sh- a shift away from coal in the U.S., I mean, essentially now with gas, the the price low, and we don't have to get into exact what the price is, but just, you know, from the crisis, the price is low, um, that actually the use of gas, natural gas, will actually increase and and become much more part of the system. How, how, how do you think the market's going to respond and maybe the shift away from coal or, or other other forms or the perpetuation of, of gas over the next five years, yeah, I mean, in the U.S., I think uh, gas has um, decisively displaced um, coal from the electricity system, uh, and you know, I think handheld pricing has been in this uh, sub three and a half dollar range for for quite a long time, and at this price level, I think I think gas clearly is out unless you know there are some region-specific circumstances, like your coal mine is on, on, on a mine mouth and gets very, 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 very cheap uh, source from from near the site. Uh, so, so I think in the US context, this this coal to gas switching played out some time ago uh, when, when, uh, when gas prices first started to, to to come down structurally from this uh, you know high single-digit levels to this to this sub. Uh, Three dollars per meter or even lower levels in the last couple of years. Um, 
I think in the rest of the world it's 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 a bit more challenging. I mean, in Europe, it's it's a, it's a it's a competitive market in, in the electricity sector. So, um, but historically, I think the gas price in Europe was, was higher than Henry Hub, and and I think if 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 uh, we return to a more balanced market over time, which uh, which can happen in the medium term horizon, or actually very likely to happen in the medium term horizon, then I think at the at the price levels that 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 we normally see in these market conditions, I think. Uh, Gas can be competitive with coal, especially with a strong carbon price, but, but it's, it's, it's not always so straightforward. So there is constant on and off switching between, between coal and gas fire generation. The big issue in Europe is the, is the closure of, of a significant portion of the coal fleet, which is, which is already pretty much decided in, in, in many key economies. So, so, so I think this, this, this dynamic in Europe is, is, uh, Slightly more complicated, but but uh, but but the output for gas is really strong, stronger thanks to this this uh, closure of coal and also some nuclear capacity in the, in the European system. So we, even if structural demand is not not going too much or even not growing at all, uh, I think the important part is for this to continue to grow, which, which is what you're interested in if you're a supplier of LNG, let's say for 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 the European market. And you know, in, in 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 developing markets, you often don't 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 even have this uh, full economic dispatch. So so the the decision of which which power plants run are decided not not not, not on the basis of the lowest marginal cost producer, but but rather you know allocated proportionally or 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 the carvats for various technologies which government agencies want want want, want to run. So uh, so uh, so they're not 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 completely liberalized wholesale electricity markets. In which case, this you know price-based competition gets more complicated between coal and gas and and. Uh, you know, if, if if the gas market is not not completely liberalized either, then then you know sometimes sometimes even if you import uh, natural gas cheaply, that doesn't necessarily translate to 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 lower lower feedstock price for for the power plants, uh, and 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 so uh, these uh, uh, limit, limits to limits to market liberalization can 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 set limits to coal to gas switching dynamics as well. So there are, are limitations in the market or in certain countries for how much they may, how much gas may replace more traditional forms. Yeah, indeed, and, and you know, carbon prices help, and, and, and cheap cheap gas prices help. Um, as, as we could see this year, for example, there was there was a price responsive LNG demand, which uh, which uh, which uh, helped help sustain uh, some some growth in, in global LNG trade, even even though. Global natural gas consumption itself will, will probably decline by about three percent in twenty twenty as a whole. So, so you know, uh, I think I think low prices help help gas uh, gas and especially LNG uh, to a certain extent. But but you know, once 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 you get to more normalized uh, price environment, I think uh, I think some of these things could could well be reversed and. And, and so I, I wouldn't count on you know historical low, uh, historically low uh, gas prices uh, being sustained for for several years going forward. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe more fundamentally, even infrastructure. I mean, I'm just thinking about the imports for China. Maybe we could talk about Asia for for a minute. Uh, China, you know, different parts of Asia, we we'll say uh, China and India and Thailand. 
uh, both, uh, I think you have the graph and the report, uh, have increased their imports this year. And so I would say that probably reflects more fundamental, say, infrastructure improvements or power plants, certain things coming online that, that are requiring them to import more gas. Is that right? I mean, so that's or that's a big growth region for gas is, is Asia. Yeah, that, that's correct. And um, obviously, infrastructure availability was a key key enabler of this of this price responsive demand and, and opportunistic buying of spot LNG. In the case of China, recent market liberalization also played into this because uh, most of the opportunistic buying was actually done by these uh, relatively smaller independent city gas distributors, which which lately have access to to these nine energy import terminals. Some of them have their own uh, energy import terminals, and uh, and at the same time there is an extensive network of truck based energy distribution in China, which makes up for some of the some of the bottlenecks in the in the domestic pipeline system for now. So so you know this combination of third party access by these independent city gas distributions and their, their own means of distributing that gas enable them to, to actually step up and, and, and buy a lot of spot LNG and that in turn forced the, the state-owned majors to turn down their uh, pipeline gas imports from Central Asia. So it's a it's an interesting uh, phenomenon that, that was first enabled by new infrastructure but also enabled by access to, to that infrastructure. Uh, in the case of India, yes, there was a there was a new new terminal that that, that came online early this year. It is the Mungjo terminal uh, in uh, in the west of India. But again, uh, we we have seen that that uh, uh, Gale, which is a state-owned player, but also some private private traders and and market participants uh, uh, took 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 part in this opportunistic buying. Buying, uh, buying spree, uh, during, during, uh, 2020 in India. And, uh, and that was, that was also enabled by, by, by recent market validation and, and access to the terminal. And, and, uh, and, uh, and also India has a large, large fleet of, uh, underutilized power plants, which, uh, which especially near LNG terminals found it, found it more economical to run on natural gas when, Imported gas prices hit hit these uh, record low levels in the in the middle of the summer. So actually, we we saw some pickup in in, uh, in gas fired power generation in India, uh, despite the despite the, the economic hit hit from the pandemic and and, and the corresponding decrease in, in coal fired generation. You know, and in Thailand, it was they they they, they just have excess excess energy import capacity and. And at the same time, the domestic production suffered because of the uh, low gas price environment. So, so, so in Thailand, it's a, it's a, it's a substitution story. Maybe, maybe the, the, the imported LNG for 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 an economical domestic production. Mm-hmm. I mean, for actually, it's quite interesting then what you described because then basically for China and also for India, it's a market liberalization that really kind of freed the market or market players to act. In a very market oriented way, I mean, compared to the previous system, which would be what state ownership or more monopolistic uh, companies uh, in in the marketplace that, that maybe not hedged their bets so much or were that interested in in profits, where a liberalized market and with more players on it are more profit oriented, which then can drive to uh, I would say a lower price on the domestic market by taking advantage. Of these price swings, is that is that kind of correct? Yeah, certainly. I mean, 
it's an easy argument to make that more competition should bring our our overall system costs to once 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 it's liberalized and and more more liberalization is on its way in both markets. So so in China the big development this year was the the, the formation and institutionalization of this uh, national pipeline company, which which you know separates gas transmission activity uh, from 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 uh, supply and, and and imports so so that should that should enable you know more even more third party access not just to gas terminals but also to the, to the to the domestic midstream infrastructure it should it should uh, you know take national priorities into consideration develop the grid according to you know uh, the national interest rather than the individual suppliers' uh, priorities of uh, how they want to market their own uh, domestic production in various markets, and 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 also it will it will most likely reduce the the overall transmission cost of natural gas. So so overall, I think that this development will further open up the market to 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 uh, to these uh, smaller uh, independent players and also also reduce the and use cost of natural gas throughout mm-hmm. the system as it as it as it as it ramps up and, and starts to add new infrastructure and and, and, uh, and uh, the gas to reduced reduced cost. I, I know nothing about uh, these changes in China, <laughs> but but they sound they sound like uh, the EU and what the EU has done and how the EU has, is or at least is trying to separate the infrastructure and the market players. Is this kind of how it's being done? It's a little difficult to draw parallels, but I think the overall concept of unbundling midstream from 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 upstream uh, is, is 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 fundamentally the same concept. Okay. Well, I, I just have a comment. You don't need a comment. My my comment would be: it sounds like gas is here for a long time to stay, basically. Or <laughs> so. Uh, but 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 I mean, I like to. I, I I'm referring to our discussion about you know long term maybe hydrogen or green, but. When you have serious infrastructure being built, it seems like gas is going to be around for a long time. My my final question for you is: so the you're now issuing a quarterly re- market update report, uh, which is a, a change and kind of reflecting the the volatility in the market and how things are are changing. How how long do you think you're going to be issu- issuing a quarterly report? When, when do you, when's the market going to get back to? We won't say boring because it's never boring. But maybe kind of even out a bit. Yeah, so this this change is actually permanent. So we're planning to to do this on a quarterly basis from now on. And you know, we'll see if uh, if uh, markets get so boring that we'll we'll have to reconsider. But but I think I think overall uh, there are there are there are enough changes in, in the in the markets nowadays that. that very well justify this this shift to at least the quarterly frequency. Okay, good. Well, I'll, I'll look forward to just getting back to boring gas markets <laughs> because maybe maybe the whole global I don't know issues everything around COVID and the economy evens out soon. So that's that's my wish. Even though I I think we uh, yeah I would agree probably gas is going much more commodity like like oil. So which then. Hey, we always have a job then if this is our interest. So, which is, which is good for us. But, um, my final, actually, I do have one final question. And this is really, I would say, for people interested in the gas market, uh, students or early career professionals. Uh, how, what suggestion would you say to them if they're interested in getting 
to know more about the gas sector or getting involved themselves? Uh, what, what should they read? What should they listen to? Or what should they do? Just maybe one of those things uh, for them to learn more about the gas sector. Well, we publish a fair amount of uh, content on this. So, so if, if nothing else, then please read our reports. I think those are, those are a good starting point. But I think there is a there is a whole ecosystem of you know podcasts, blogs, and, and uh, publicly available sources, uh, consultancies even uh, that uh, publish great content on this, and, uh, and I think uh, that's certainly worth worth following. Um, yeah, and uh, I, th- I think the industry overall is uh, LNG at least is probably still a still a still a growth market in the foreseeable future. You know, we'll, we'll see how this 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 course about the gas gas and energy transition uh, debate will will play out, but but I think uh, I think you know finding fi- finding solutions for 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 these more technical and engineering related challenges uh, is also also hugely interesting. I mean, we we, we just saw experiments with um, you know hydrogen hydrogen fueled aircraft. You know there are all these all these fascinating opportunities for 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 gas to to penetrate new markets, which which I think are also also very interesting. The new applications of gas can can be equally equally interesting. So I, th- I think gas gas is interesting. It will stay interesting at least for for for, for another decade of, or two and. Uh, um, and, and there is a great, great deal of debate and, and, and a good quote to get familiar with. Great. Okay. Akos, thank you very much for, for coming on the podcast and joining us. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the My Energy 2050 podcast. Please follow the My Energy 2050 podcast on iTunes or Stitcher so that you can automatically get updated with each new episode. If you like this episode and feel others can benefit from the information, please share it on social media. You can contact me to provide feedback or suggestions on Twitter at MyEnergy2050 or on LinkedIn.